Well, welcome, Eli. How are you doing? Hey, man. How's it going? Thanks for having me up. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. So we were waiting for you. So thank you so much. Let's go ahead and uh, kick this off. We're very, very fortunate that uh, Eli Burton is joined us for this call. Um, he he was one of the key people that was did, did the interview with Elon. And I wanted to walk through each of the key topics. But Eli, in this third episode, this third um, segment that you guys released yesterday, I thought was the most... Um, most important episode, but also the most interesting one. You covered so many great topics. He was so relaxed. And I think because it was probably in, in the latter latter half of the four and a half hour interview, you part you participated more and actually you and Ryan and the others were much more engaged and you guys were starting to ask questions. And I think that really loosened them up. So I really um, felt that you specifically also kicked it off. I know that this was in the middle of this. Uh, you cut it. You just happened to cut the episode this way. But so let's uh, let's go through this. I mean, before we even get started, Eli, tell us a little bit about um, Tesla owners of Silicon Valley and how did this all come about? Yeah, so Tesla Owners Club, Silicon Valley. So all of the people there, um, Ryan's a member of Tesla Owners of Silicon Valley, but uh, John Stringer and Kelvin, they're both leaders of Tesla Owners Silicon Valley. I run the Tesla Owners Club, my Tesla Adventure. So three out of four of us there were all Tesla Owners Club president, vice presidents, uh, club organizers. Um, and yeah, John runs Silicon Valley, and he was the one that made the got the yes to the ask for the interview. So that's kind of how four of us ended up there. We've been friends with Ryan Kilowatts for a long time. He does video. He used to do video for Tesla as well. So it was kind of a obvious fit that he would come with us to do video and then ultimately participate in the interview. Well, Eli, I thought that you were, aren't you like a, a totally into SpaceX? I thought you were based in Austin. Are you, were, are you based in Silicon Valley? <laughs> I'm everywhere. Um, yeah, no, everywhere. no, no, no. So I was in NorCal actually for the last 10 years. I am now in San Diego. Um, the owner's club I run though is, is actually the only one that is marked for a whole state, not for a region. Cause basically with my Tesla adventure, we do events kind of everywhere mm -hmm. and we work with whatever clubs are in the area to partner with when we do events. So like I've done events with Silicon Valley and John and them for years. So like we're all, it's all one big community, even though we're kind of subsetted by our region just for, yeah. you know, the, the logistics of management of people and getting people together. If the ring gets too big, it gets kind of hard to do. So that's kind of why everyone has their own region, so to speak. But, uh, with my club, it's not even really a club. It's a community. So we're regionless. Wonderful. Okay. So first question that, that you guys asked, or you specifically asked right there on this first, the last third episode is the star man in space. <laughs> And you gave him a gift. Can you tell us a little bit of what that um, is? It a comic book, and w what is it that you're working on these days? But he was quite excited, or he was quite interested I in what you're telling his story. Wasn't expecting that to be in the final video, so I was surprised to see that be there. Um, right? Yeah, that's when we were getting like. So basically, what had happened is before part three, is part two ended when basically we said, okay, we're going to end the formal interview now, mm -hmm. and we were actually getting up to like let him go and like, right. call the meeting because he's the busiest man in the world. This is a Memorial Day, day after Memorial Day. Like, we figured he had a lot to do. We were trying to be respectful of his time. So we were actually getting ready to just pack everything up and go. And Elon wanted to keep hanging out. So then we sat down. We had gotten past the core focus of the interview, which was the early days of Tesla. And since he wanted to keep talking, we decided to go into just everything. And before I forgot, I just wanted to thank him for Starman. Because if, that, if he wasn't insane enough to do that, 
uh, I wouldn't have been able to see it and do all the things that I've done since. And I mean, and it was the most inspiring thing I've ever seen in my life. So I just wanted to get that chance to really thank him for it and, uh, you know, gift him his copy. There's a tradition that we give him number 42, uh, issue number 42 of all the episodes. Um, and it was really cool to, and I've had friends hand them to him and, um, episode one, I actually did get to give him myself in person at the boring tunnel unveil. So it was cool for Starman begins and I was able to just give it to him myself. Was, so was it cool that you heard from him directly telling you the story of how the decision was made to send a roadster up? So the, I was actually, so I was expecting him to give a little bit different response that he did. Cause like all of us know the kind of or the public story and that, and the public, the private story is the same, but there's some more details to like around the configuration of the craft and like how it was all put together. I was hoping he would get a little bit more into that. Like for example, the plate underneath Starman on his roadster that he's mounted on is signed by all the employees at SpaceX. Mm -hmm. And that was done before they did it. And that's not one that's really publicly known. I was hoping he was going to get a little more into stuff like that. So in his response there, he didn't tell me anything I didn't know, but it was still cool to have him recap it again for the video and for, for the people who don't know, the majority of people have no idea that even happened. Like when I, when I, people ask, what do you do? And I'm like, the first thing I ask them is, do you remember when SpaceX sent Starman into space in Elon's Tesla Roadster? And they're like, what? What? (laughs) So I have to show them the video of that happening and then start the story. So the majority of people still don't even know that happened. So I thought it was cool that he kind of rehashed that story for everyone because there'll be a lot of people who hear that story for the first time in that interview. Yeah, I, I think so. You obviously, this is your big thing. You 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 even got to tell him that you changed your whole <laughs> career and life because of this. Tell us a little bit of what you're working on now, and and how you felt when you had the chance to you know talk to him more about this. I mean, talking to him was a what like that in that sit down type fashion, very informal. I mean, Elon was the only person in the room with us. There was no of his staff. Yeah. It was just us and him. Like th- th- I mean. It, it's an opportunity that I still can't even believe happened and like doesn't happen twice. So, um, I mean, can't tell you how honored I am for that. Um, as to what I'm working on. So I've been mostly quiet for a lot of stuff for a while because behind the scenes we're in development of, uh, expansion of the Starman NFT project. Basically what we did is the series we've been making for the last four years and all the stories we've written, we have consolidated all of that into, um, cards, which are the NFTs, and then the cards are going to be usable right. in a game because that's yes. something that the series doesn't have right now. Like, you've got the stories, we've got the comics, but to make it more engaging, we're going down the route of a game and a card-based game. So that's that's really what I've been working on for the last, gosh, nine months, probably a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, these things are big projects, large scale, take a lot of work, but like card pack opening is going to drop in like a week or two, so people will start opening their card packs, and then probably another month after that. Um, the game will uh, will unfold. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, great. So I know that Ash is incredibly interested in space, and uh, she actually bought the suit <laughs> from your e-commerce store. Like you actually have the ability to buy an actual, well, it looks exactly like the space suit, right? <laughs> yeah, the Starman suits. And I love, I love you, Ash. Um, yeah, yeah so I love you too. The suits are. Um, we did a single first edition run. And we've sold out on most of the sizes, and we're not doing a second. So everybody who has what? one of these suits, yes. What about the helmets? I want one of the helmets. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that at some point. But everybody who has the suits have the only yeah. run of the suits that are ever made. So one day those are going to yeah. be special. Honestly, when you told me that at TeslaCon, I was like, what? I didn't even know. That's why the tags all said first edition. There won't be another edition. <laughs> okay. 
Well, thank you for telling us the story. I mean, Eli, you, you kicked off that that the first the third part was very much. It was a fun conversation about Starman in space. I love this comment about the aliens. <laughs> aliens are going to wonder why we worship the car. Yeah, <laughs> and but know, on the other, they, go ahead, go ahead. No, but on the other hand, isn't it amazing that you you know they sent out this rosers it's going up there? It's very similar parallel to you know when NASA sent out the. Uh, the capsule that went out with a human, the male and female signals. Honestly, this one was way cooler. Boy, I love what NASA did, but NASA, what NASA did is let's be honest for the general population was way too fucking nerdy. Yeah. Nobody could like the signals was cool. Like I loved it. I'm a nerd, but the Starman and roadster, any kid can look at that and imagine themselves being there. And that's, that's what's going to really move the needle and get the public behind this. And we need that because you know, I don't see a lot of pressure being put on Congress to fund space. So if we don't get that on top of what SpaceX and Elon is doing, getting to Mars is going to be problematic. Okay. Well, thank you. So Omar's joined us. We'll make him a co-host. Um, so obviously, you you thought that the interview was about to end. So you guys started talking about your own um, kind of interests. And you were talking about Starman. Ryan starts to talk about car sharing. And Elon kind of you know, you can see, you can, you know, he, he, his mind is, it's not on these things like car sharing and software. His mind is so much on the Giga Texas Berlin ramp up, the supply chain issues, the COVID. And he then redirected his entire conversation into, you know, how really difficult this, this factory is uh, to create a car companies is losing insane numbers of uh, dollars. Um, Omar, Please share your thoughts on on this incredibly important topic that he brought up. And of course, now we're hearing all the articles are coming out today, uh, you know, misinterpreting it and bashing uh, Elon and Tesla. Yeah, I just came to listen. But I mean, I think it's obvious to everybody that when you build a factory, you spend money to build the factory and the factory doesn't make any money. Then it starts making cars. But it's not making that many cars. So the cost to run the factory is still greater than the amount of money that's coming in from selling the cars. Then at some point you break even. You're selling enough cars to pay for the factory. And then when you get past that, you're actually making billions of dollars. So I think, you know, the media just tries to kind of clickbait quotes. If you watch the actual interview episode, uh, it wasn't really an alarming or surprising comment i don't think i mean not at all <laughs> yeah so eli when you when you uh, you then said which is a uh, you know you're i like what you said which is you know hey we think of you as a software company and and we sometimes forget that you're a hardware company and then you pointed at the, <laughs> this massive factory behind you but it is true that us, you know, the, the Tesla Bulls and us fans here, we we know and we understand that they're a software company, but the general public doesn't. And um, but I like that you brought that up. I'll be honest, I was even speaking from my own perspective, which was I had forgotten how much attention they have to pay to their hardware, because when I'm driving a car, I'm, what I'm really thinking about is not the hardware. Right. I'm thinking about the experience I'm getting out of it, which has a huge software layer over the top. But when you're yeah, when you're having supply chain issues, the standard issues you have when scaling a factory yeah that makes sense that that's where their attention's going and two yeah. like also i think we there's a lot of features we all want i think everyone just needs to be reasonable about how we get there yeah i i was actually and um, obviously he was trying to explain how difficult this, it is to create a factory and he used really inc incredible words like gigantic money <laughs> money furnace fire 
uh, you know, the, the desperately trying to go bankrupt. Um, but I, in a, I look at it in a very positive way, which is, I don't know how companies like Rivian or Lucid will survive. And he's kind of hinting that they don't realize, and they probably do, how difficult this will be. And for, for the other car companies to actually transition to electric as well. Yeah, he had no concern about the, the, what his statements in no way to me sounded like any concern about Tesla's sol uh, solvency. It was about that, you know, yes. he's annoyed by how much money it's burning to scale a factory, which who wouldn't be? And yeah, a car company is a huge machine that has to continue running at a certain speed. Otherwise, it is always fighting out bankruptcy. It's not like a tech company who can just sit back and say, we're not going to ship another product for six months or a year. It doesn't work as an automotive company. <laughs> you don't deliver a car for a year, you ain't going to make it. Yeah. Omar, I know you just said that you're just listening in, but do you, can you tell us like what you think um, when, so this factory is burning billions of dollars every, I don't know, I don't think if you said every day, but basically it's burning billions of dollars and they're only making a fraction of cars right now. At what point will it then become kind of profitable or not profitable, but at least starting to produce so how many cars that will have to do a week before you'll feel comfortable that they've gotten there? Well, I think they're making pretty good progress. You saw Berlin produce a thousand cars a week. So that's a good starting point. It usually takes 12 to 18 months to ramp a new factory. Mm. So really, the second half of this year is going to be insanely higher than the first half of this year. There were not many cars produced in the first half of the year. And 2023 is going to be even bigger. I mean, really from one year after the launch parties, you can expect them to, uh, you know, be at a level that's seriously adding to their production and delivery volume. Okay. Any other comments or thoughts about the, uh, the factory? The ramp up is huge, obviously, and supply chain, you know, we can't underestimate the supply chain. Um, uh, interference, he called it, was incredibly severe, and the COVID was also very difficult for them. Um, but it feels like I just—I don't know. I always, when I hear about Tesla and he's saying this, should we interpret that that that's you know they they had? I don't know. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I feel like they they actually weren't impacted as much as others, of course. Um, yeah, but have they solved it today? This was in May 31st. Well, there's a lot of bad things happening in the world right now, and it's going to be a relatively bad quarter. I say relatively because, you know, they're probably still going to deliver more than 200,000 cars, maybe 240,000 to 250,000 or something like that. It'll be down from 310,000, which is a little bit unusual because Tesla deliveries usually go up and up and up. But this time, of course, Shanghai was shut down and there's nothing you can do about that. The factory shut down. It's not making any cars. So there's that. There's also really the energy situation in Germany. It's like just insane what how energy prices are going up there. That's kind of a headwind to Berlin as well. Um, and, you know, some of the shipping issues that, you know, stop some of the 2170 equipment from getting to Austin right. a little bit earlier, like they mentioned in the interview. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of headwinds and it happens. Sometimes you have a bad quarter. Sometimes there are things out of your control. So, you know, that happens. But at the end of the day, like 
oh my God, these factories could not be coming at a better time. When they're fully ramped, Tesla is going to be able to outsell Mercedes-Benz probably. And that's going to be a milestone moment. They're not just this little upstart making less than a million cars. They're going to be up there with the major brands of the world in terms of the volumes they produce. And this is not the distant future. This is like in the next 12 months when these factories start to get up to serious volumes. Um, I think 2023 is just going to be kind of a mind-blowing year. And you just look at all these problems that are caused by energy, right? Oil prices. Our whole economy is dependent on this system that is so fragile and so dependent on us getting, you know, dino juice or plankton out of the ground. (laughs) There's dictators. There's the king of Saudi Arabia. There's Putin. These crazy motherfuckers, we have to get this oil from them or our whole life falls apart. It's nuts. And we're having massive inflation. You know, the Fed has to raise rates. Everyone's getting hurt. The stock market's tanking. It's a big shit show. And it really comes down to energy and you and used car prices. So, I mean, these factories could not be coming at a better time once they're ramped. And especially getting into 2023, 2024, when you have a a cell shortage, nobody's going to be questioning whether it was a good idea to build these factories. Like, yeah, Tesla is just um, really hitting the nail on the head of a really big problem. And it's so important for them to scale, right? Like, you just think about FSD, for example, each one of these factories pushing out cars to different regions of the world, scaling the, the fleet for data collection. It makes the cars actually drive better because mm-hmm. they're able to produce so many of them. So, yeah, you know. As usual, the media is just a little bit silly and uh, not thoughtful in their analysis. They're looking for a headline. Um, you know, the reality, of course, is that what's happening in Berlin and Austin is going to completely transform the business. Like Tesla post Giga Shanghai was not the same company as Tesla before Giga Shanghai. And it's even doubly so with these two new factories coming online. They're going to be better more efficient they require less capex they are going to have higher automotive gross margins you know you saw that diagram of fremont everything moving all all around with these new factories they just move straight through right and let's not even talk about the 4680 cells the fact that they're making the anodes and cathodes right there in -hmm. texas and berlin making them into cells putting that into a, a structural pack that's a structural element of the car and building the body. Like these aren't just new factories that are way better too. So there's a reason why they're spending billions of dollars on them. And a lot of this stuff is kind of hitting at once. You got kind of the Bitcoin thing, some of these factory ramp ups, the Shanghai shutdown, all these issues. But I think some of the smart people will be able to look a little bit longer term, a little further out past their nose and say, okay, you know, this may cost something to ramp up, sure. But once it's ramped up, you're looking at Tesla becoming really one of the top automakers in the world by volume and setting the stage for it to eventually, I think, become the biggest automaker in the world by volume, passing Toyota and Volkswagen. Yeah. Well, a small criticism, Eli, 
about the interview was right after Elon spent this time talking about how difficult it is to create these factories and gigantic money furnace fire. Then the question was asked about Plaid Model 3. But because that question was asked, it unearthed his answer, which I thought was something I was waiting for. He said, we're trying to reduce complexity, number one. And two, he actually said, you know, the three and Y, we see it doing three to four million. Um, and and the X and S is really for, you know, for sentimental reasons. So I, I was, I really liked him to have actually articulated those stats. Uh, what's your thoughts on my comment there, Eli? <laughs> I don't know. There's much for me to comment on, but um, I mean, his comment about three and about the S and X for sentimental reasons is not true. Like it is brand reasons. It may be sentimental from a standpoint of they don't actually need that money for their core business long term. However, it is key for the brand. Model S and X are the flagship of Tesla. When people want to talk about the smackdown of what the car can do on speed, performance, luxury, the S and X is the pre is the peak car. Three and Y is the car that's going to carry Tesla to twenty million vehicles. Twenty, you can't sell twenty million hundred thousand dollar plus cars a year. It's just not going to happen. So, um, I do remember when he made that comment initially, and I kind of dismissed it because, like, it is necessary for Tesla as the brand to be the brand they are that they have those peak flagship vehicles, even if they don't sell a lot of them. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And then like, on, Plaid's driving. an incredible headline vehicle, right? Like, you know. Uh, so, no, you're saying, Omar, Omar he's driving the S, but oh, yeah. that he, he said that he's going to be driving the Cybertruck. That's the car. <laughs> That's well, I mean, the, he's the, S, the S and X are just so much better than the 3 and Y. It's not even funny, especially the new one. It's just a much better vehicle. So, I mean, I think it's really great that there is an S and X, that people who maybe tried a 3 and Y can go there. You know, Elon himself is driving this. Probably a lot of Tesla executives are driving these cars. So, I mean, yeah, the SNX, you know, is an important vehicle, even though it may not be very high volume. You have to have that kind of like top end in the product lineup, right? Yeah. Everybody might not be using the Mac Pro, but you still want it there. Yeah. I, I, I will say that I have a three, a Model 3, and I brought it into service, and they gave me a 2019 Model. S, and I actually preferred my three. <laughs> so my point is this: that the three is actually, you know, the progress of these cars is pretty incredible. Um, so, well, okay. I mean, yeah. you have a lot of these kind of new innovations in the three and the Y uh, that kind of make an older S more unfamiliar to someone who might have started with the three and Y. But the new S and X are for yeah. somebody who started with the three and a Y just unequivocally better they took all of those innovations from the three and the y and put it in the new snx and really all of that and more it's really killer and that's why i think the question was can you make a plaid model three because the model three and the model y are so awesome why not make a plaid version but i am actually very happy to hear he said we're trying to reduce complexity we're our own worst enemy and i as an investor i'd love to hear that and and that the the runway for the three and y is three to four million and then the question everybody asks is how did they get to 20 without expanding their you know vehicle segments um yeah so all right so you know let's quick I, we know that he said that cybertruck is going to come june next year do you guys still believe that they're going to create a compact car a, the so-called twenty five thousand dollar car that's going to be sold to consumers
I didn't hear that question. Was that one for me or for Omar? Anybody. Yeah. Yeah, I think they, they might have to. Um, and, and I think that the Cybertruck actually might pave the way for that, that amount of scale when you, uh, I mean, when you think about the simplicity of the Cybertruck in the unibody exoskeleton, just single piece of cast, like just bent steel um, from that giant gigapress. Um, I mean, I think that a compact car made with that same sort of methodology would be incredibly cheap okay uh so another the next topic that i thought was incredible that i was so happy to hear him you guys address in that interview was his comment about the the journalism and the integrity and you know we should or may not advertise because that's a topic within the, the tesla twitter community we've been going back and forth on that there's a whole group of people gary black and others who think that they should do a pr and then there's others who don't think we should bother doing PR or advertising. Um, and I just was really happy to hear that, that his position is that, you know, clearly there is uh, the journalists out there are writing articles. There, there, there is no wall in between them. And they, you know, these folks know that who's paying them. And, uh, you know, Tesla's a fraudulent failure. Like they'll just say whatever they need to get to get 10 times. And I know, Omar, you actually had a great tweet uh a tweet storm today <laughs> all about this <laughs> uh it was great but i really really, really like that and then it led into the twitter headlines and then eli you had a great recommendation about how twitter should have a, pl a paid plan and then that allows you to access these uh these uh these uh, walls right these uh, articles and here's the deal alone if twitter algorithm were to deprioritize any links that went to a paywall people would right. stop posting them. Watch, like They would have to find another solution for social media deployment, which is very solvable then by you do a deal with the companies that people pay a cup, like part of that $3.99 or $2.99 we pay for Twitter Blue, which right now is right. way overpriced for almost no value. I pay for it just to test it and like, it's fucking, it's not worth three bucks and it's three bucks. But if my three bucks, also a few cents of that went to news sites when I clicked and Twitter got their money and the news site got their money, everybody would win. And if Twitter starts deprioritizing content that doesn't comply with that, they will jump on board overnight. I mean, Steve Jobs did this with Apple to the news agencies a long time ago back with Apple. And a lot of different content providers finally caved because they had to. And they're and they will now too. The problem is that Ben is while Twitter is public, there's too many dark forces at play influencing that company's decisions that are not for the benefit of the company or the users. It's for the benefits of the other parties that are using these platforms. So now that Elon's buying it and taking it private, I think we're definitely going to see that change. Yeah. I, I love the fact that Elon is actually, you know that he's a user of Twitter. He, he, he feels the pain. He actually goes through it himself. And then did you guys think that when when you, did he already did he already know that he was going to do this, that he would create this kind of a solution to it? Or do you think that, you know, through conversation with you guys, he might actually end up doing this idea that you brought up? There's a few more things we talked about about Twitter that is not in the interview and we decided not to include it in because he's in the process of acquiring it. Let's be real, like, you know, we're on their team, not mainstream media. Um, but yes, I do believe there'll be some some things that come out of the discussions we had about how to improve Twitter. He loves Twitter. Like, yes. like there's a lot more of us talking about Twitter than what was in that interview. He personally loves Twitter. It's his favorite outlet. And considering that the mainstream media, if he even talks to them, they, mis they twist his words and beat him over the head. It's his outlet. 
like there was no chance he wasn't going to finish this deal. Like this is important, personal to him, but it's also important for his brands, but also the world that there is an outlet that is uncensored, <laughs> really. Did you get the sense when he said, maybe we should advertise, maybe not? Do you think that he'll, he kind of ended with, no, I'm not going to do it, or that he might still do? Never, eventually, Tesla will. Like, it's a matter of how many years down the road that that becomes. And I think it's also about how you advertise. And his beef with advertising is a lot of advertising out there for car ads is like bullshit and manipulative <laughs> content. Tesla can run an ad that just explains the product slash decides that they want to set the image of their own brand, right? Like the difference between making a video and putting it on YouTube and hitting the boost button is technically that's the difference in advertising. So like they're starting to make content now that they're putting on social a bit more because for years they didn't make shit. And I was like, it was insane that they made nothing by the way, but whatever. So now they're starting to put a lot more content on YouTube, explainers about the car. You know, they're showing like a family using the Model Y and stuff. To a, at a certain point, you're going to have to show that message for people to just go, ah, I can see myself in that car now. And that's not the shitty advertising that he's so against. I think to date, they've been able to get away with not doing it. And realistically, when you've sold out the next year's worth of cars, advertising would right. be pretty stupid. Like it would, right. be, it would be a good long-term value on brand, but not a good return on immediate capital because you've already sold more cars than you can deliver. So once the day comes where they've reached a much higher saturation, and we're nowhere close, by the way, especially with gas prices going, we're going to have like $10 gas in California by the end of summer, and I bet you the national average is going to be somewhere like 8 bucks. It's going to be horrible. As those numbers continue to climb, electric's the only way to go. So I think in a few years, I think there'll be a case to advertise. Um, well, no. We'll so the that. reason, yeah. Well, let's just clarify. He's not. They're not going to advertise because they need to get more cars marketing. They they need to advertise so just do or do something so that it can reduce these FUD articles that are being produced in journalism. And maybe it never will, right? Even if they, um, you know, they're equally putting as much money to support these journalists, will well, they the start writing positive? The PR side, and I'll make this my last point, and then I'm going to have to jump off. Unfortunately, I think Tesla. It is a mistake that Tesla has nobody in any capacity to give any response. Um, there's a lot of shitty journalists that will not include your response, but there is a lot of outlets that if Tesla gives a response, they will include it in the story. I think Elon's had a bad experience with a lot of not good PR folks. I think he's gotten a lot of PR folks that came out of traditional tech, you know, Facebook and the like and Google, where those people are just spin doctors who do the same same mainstream media does. And he has a distaste for that because he doesn't like dishonesty actually fundamentally. But I think of some good people who actually just were communication oriented, meaning they're, they actually did the job of just communicating out the truth versus being, you know, a spin machine. I think he'd probably be more open to it. But unfortunately, I think he's been burned by them so many times that he's just kind of done. And I'd met some of the people that were previously on the PR team and like were higher up in that. And I can understand why he fired them all, honestly. So <laughs> really? Well, yeah. I I dare say that I'm actually on the side of Gary Black, that I do think that they should have, it, maybe not call it a PR team, but it's an educational uh, team that creates content to for safety and uh, to you know educate people what's actually happening. But um, yep. Either way, man, thank you for having me up. And yeah, thank you. In the future, I just got to run right now. Appreciate that, Eli. Thank you so much. Be good so the next... Omar. Yeah, Later. The next topic is uh, autonomy versus car sharing. And then Ryan, of course, he has, I'm hoping he'll still join. He had said that he might be able to join us. Ryan has a fleet of eight uh, that uh, Teslas that he's uh, renting in Turo. And then um, 
you know, that he was asking him about the car sharing and having this, uh, you know, the kind of the field, the, the, the fleet manager, shepherd and tending to your flock. And so having a software do that. So, but, you know, he, he did say, uh, we heard Elon say at this point that um, he thinks that car sharing is, I don't know what was, what was the words he said, that it's not that important because autonomy is kind of what was, it's really on his mind. Did, did you guys hear what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So Omar, did you have a, a thought about this? And uh, I know you, you and Ryan were talking recently about this and create, you know, the need to create a software to help fleet managers manage the, the a team, a group of cars. I think is listening in. You think? Oh, there he is. Sorry, I, I don't understand the question. Yeah, so, you know, autonomy versus car sharing. Do you think that Ryan was saying that car sharing is actually a kind of like a stepping stone, that it needs to happen on the way to autonomy, and it might be a while for autonomy? But what I think what I heard from Elon was that, yeah, I don't think car sharing is going to happen. Like, rental is pretty well the same. And he does agree that you'll need a fleet manager kind of thing to help people kind of manage the flock, as he called it, tented cleaning and all that. I mean, car sharing exists already. Yeah. You know, so as opposed, you know, like really, okay, is Tesla going to get into car sharing? Maybe they don't have any plans to do that. But, you know, car sharing exists as cars are more automated. Uh, they're going to continue to, you know, it's going to continue to make car sharing easier in some ways fundamentally it's going to be the same I, I mean i think tesla is just really focused on actually making fsd work that's really the key you know they're not trying to hedge their bets and say like okay well what if it takes too long i mean it doesn't really matter if it takes too long because they're already making money selling the fsd package in the subscription not everybody most people won't they'll just use the free autopilot that comes with the car and that's fine. That's great for most people today. But some people are going to pay to get the FSD package, pay a little bit extra on their monthly loan price or lease, or they're going to pay the $199 a month to subscribe, and they're going to use it, and it's going to make them money. And as the software gets better and better, the amount of money they make on the software is going to increase exponentially. And after it's so reliable, that it's actually safer than most people. It's just going to continue to take off even more exponentially to a level that just completely boggles the mind. So it's not like a step function where we're waiting for this big moment. It's something, it's a function that's basically already started. You, this is going to be a billion dollar business this year, right? A lot of people in this room probably have given Ten more than ten thousand dollars to Tesla to use this feature uh, through their car loan. So I think that you know I'm not surprised that Tesla doesn't care about car sharing. There's lots of places where you can do car sharing. There's Hertz, there's Turo, there's other startups that I'm sure are going to emerge. But um, yeah, I, I think they're just really focused on uh, FSD and just 
making it truly reliable everywhere in the country, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of work to do to get to that goal, but they are moving in the right direction. Yeah. He, he had clarified that his, it sounded like his next milestone is zero interventions in cities, point to point in cities. Um, and that he confirmed again that he still believes FSD beta, I guess, wide release is what I'm assuming he's, assu- he's referring to, will be this year still. Will still be this year, six months. I mean, that's but not that's, surprising. I think they could release it now if they wanted to. It may not be in, you know, there's still some rough edges that maybe you would want to get resolved before release. But it's really kind of an arbitrary decision. Okay, when is it ready? Um, and there, it's already been semi-released. I mean, 200,000 users is not nothing. They're not giving it to anybody, but there's quite a bit of users. And yeah. the users have been increasing a lot. I mean, a year ago, there was 2,000 FSD beta testers, and most of those were Tesla employees. Today, there's 200,000. So, okay, it hasn't been released, but it's actually already scaled 100x. And it's very, very difficult when you've got hundreds of thousands of cars running the software in all these different scenarios, all these different weather conditions, all these different lighting conditions, dirty cars, clean cars, winter, summer, and you got to make sure nobody gets hurt, right? Um, It's really not appreciated how much harder this task is at scale and even just rolling out the software, right? How do you roll out the software and make sure it doesn't have some glaring issue? You have to do it step by step, gradually monitor. These are like really important skills they're learning because nobody can deploy a self-driving car perfectly the first time. It's a process and they're really getting good at walking that process. So yeah, um, I don't know. I forgot what we were talking about. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, yeah, you 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 made a good point about that. Um, it what it, what exactly needs to happen before they decide that they're going to wide release FSD beta? And you're what you're saying is well, they already have it at two hundred thousand. It's probably growing as we're speaking. They we knew that in the last um, uh, FSD beta version that we started hearing people with safety scores of ninety five. <laughs> I mean, I've heard people as low as eighty eight. You're somebody with 88. Yeah, so it's yeah. like... <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's like, it's like exactly like the autonomy thing where people think autonomy is like a step function where one day the robo-taxis just turn on. Mm-hmm. And the reality is like, it's going to happen in different places at different times. So even that moment, that, you know, driverless moment is not going to happen all at once. If you kind of plotted it on a graph, it would look like more of a curve rather than a step function just because of different places turning on at different times. And then in addition to that, you have, you know, it really is kind of continuous in the reliability of the automation increasing. And it's the same thing with the deployment. You know, the the public release will be a huge symbolic milestone because anyone can just uh, sign up or subscribe or buy and they can just try it instantly. And it's going to be, you know, good enough that they feel comfortable doing that. But really, if you kind of look at it on a graph, it's not going to be a step function. It's going to be just a continuation of the growth curve. 
And right now, anyone can pretty much get it. It's just a pain mm-hmm. in the ass, right? So they're just kind of removing a hoop. Right now, they want to kind of prevent too many people from getting in because it's still a little bit fucked up. But, you know, <laughs> before the end of the year, they'll remove that hoop. And I see no reason why they can't do that. They're very well on track to do that. Do I think that it's going to be perfect and driverless by the end of this year? No, no, absolutely not. It's still going to make really stupid mistakes when it's released and there'll be viral videos of, Oh my God, I just got the self-driving Tesla and, you know, tried to run me over and my dog or whatever, you know, and I had to break, there's still going to be, you know, interventions like that, that can happen at times. I mean, hopefully it's very rare, but, um, you know, that's progress, right? It's getting something out. It's collecting the data back. It's continuing to refine and learn and operate at scale. And, uh, yeah, I, I see no reason why they can't do a public release this year. Even the regulators seem pretty on board. Like obviously, NHTSA is well aware of FSD beta at this point. They've been involved in details about the software implementation and, uh, you know, had Tesla do a recall related to the rolling stop sign behavior. And they haven't done anything. They probably, there's someone in there who says, hey, you know what? This is actually something that could completely change the safety paradigm in this country. And this is really worth doing, or it's at least worth letting them try this and see if it's not a massive disaster. And so, you know, they're fine with them having 200,000 people using this. That's pretty insane. Like, I didn't even know there were 200,000 people right. who bought FSD, right? right? And yeah, I think, uh, at least in the United States, I see it as probably a, a holiday update thing. Holiday wow. update this year is FSD. You know, there, there's still a huge group of people who think that um, F- RoboTaxi is going to be a commodity. Other companies will catch up and they'll be able to do this. Um, you know, we hear Gary Black, one of kind of the kind of the one of the key people here in the Tesla community. He still very much believes that RoboTaxi is a commodity. So it's a matter of whether you believe what you hear Elon say. And he has said before that... No, it's not. This is really a very stupid line of thinking. Like, really what we're looking at here is a fundamental shift in the business model driven by automation, right? So really, when you look at a car, you have what is the business essentially of, say, General Motors, You have to go, you have to buy metal and parts and computers and all the things you need. You need to go buy workers and a factory and HR people and health insurance Mm -hmm. and all these different costs. And you get everybody together and you put all the metal together and you put the engine in and you make the car, right? And then you can go sell the car. So you know, you add up all the costs and you say, okay, when you add up all everything, the people, the metal, all the parts, the safety tests, the office, the factory, <laughs> it came out to around, you know, let's say $30,000. And we're going to go to the market. The market allows us to sell this for $40,000. So, and you know, you they don't, they can set the MSRP 
But really, the market dictates the price because consumers only have a certain willingness to pay for things, right? So they say, okay, we can sell this for about $40,000. It costs us $30,000, for example. So we made about $10,000 selling this car. Now, what if one day overnight, that same car that mm -hmm. was selling for $40,000 suddenly had a value of $300,000 overnight, right? Because it became something that was autonomous, right? Something that could actually move around on its own, operate for 24-7. We pay for these cars and get, you know, they're utilized for maybe less than a third of the day, if that, right? Probably even a few, probably just a few hours a day. So, you know, you just increase the utilization. The the kind of economic value you can get is is several times that. So, by no means does a company need to have a monopoly to benefit from this new paradigm. Really, when you see automakers and you know other OEMs being valued, Wall Street saying, "Okay, number of cars sold times margin on the car equals this much in earnings. Multiply it over, I don't know, five to ten years, whatever multiple you want to get them." And here's the valuation I'm giving to this business. Well, what if that whole equation is wrong and it's actually really, you know, miles driven times money per mm -hmm. mile. If it's actually the software you're putting in your cars and licensing to other automakers and things like that, the fundamental economics of the business are changing. And that doesn't mean necessarily that any old OEM like GM is going to be able to capture that value. They might be still selling the $30,000 car for $40,000, but it could be some upstream company like Waymo or Cruise or something like that that's really capturing that additional $150,000, $200,000 of value. Uh, but, but that's my that was the point, though. Like We heard Elon say that he's, he's tweeted before that in order to do FF, you know, robo taxi. You need to have a supercomputer. You have to have the neural net and software, and then you have to have a billion drives or miles of real-world driving. If you don't believe him, then you can say, "Oh, these other companies will copy them." And then in this interview, he actually, you know, said again, "Competitors have no answer to this. We don't know if anyone is pursuing a pure vision approach." He talked about the 1,500 data labelers and all the software tools that they built to do debugging and how that that can now amplify the 1,500 data labelers by a thousand. That the, it's actually mislabeling errors in a time they spent to try to, you know, identify that. And then he said that um, that you know he's he he said five years that if he once they release this they'll be you know at least five years before somebody will come. And it sounds reminiscent to what's you know to. The, the the self landing rockets, you know, it's been how many years now, and <laughs> nobody's yet able to even start doing it. Like the competition's coming, but maybe the competition is not coming for FS for you know robo taxi, and that seems to be what Elon is believes. Well, I mean, I think really, it isn't a situation where really you have to have a majority stake. There could be a situation with. 20 providers of autonomy 
and Tesla could still be making a shit ton more yeah. money at a much higher gross margin than they are today, just because the fundamentals of the business have changed and the market would become so much bigger that it could support a lot of players. So a situation where it's a perfectly competitive market uh, is not like, ah, it was all for nothing. No, it still changes the world, right? And, you know, you may expect that type of situation. But there's also an argument that's stronger than people are giving credit for that the dynamics of the market could change profoundly because of the nature of this technology, right? We assume, oh, all cars have been around for 100 years. They're kind of commoditized. It's really a perfectly competitive market. A lot of these cars are really even using the same parts from the same suppliers. Um, well, that, that may not be the case in the future. When you just think about the self-driving software, and this is going to become the most important part of the car, right? Right now, people are like, oh, how fast is it, right? that sort of stuff. People aren't going to care about that. They're not going to care about the driving feel. What they're really going to care about more than anything is the self-driving software. So the difference, first of all, you know, it, it is going to take people a long time to catch up. Just look at the competition. They exist, but they're operating in geofences. The cars are too expensive for you to buy. A lot of people don't realize how differentiated Tesla is and actually you can sell a car and you can use it anywhere, right? So just having the competition catch up to that's going to take a long time. But let's even say the competition does catch up because, of course, someone will figure it out eventually. They'll put something out. This isn't like iPhone and Android where it's pretty much the same. You have your preference, but you hand me an Android phone, you have it, hand me an iPhone. I don't, you know, I don't really care if you're giving me some tablet to sign in or something. They're basically the same, right? Well, not so in self-driving. The difference between the number one and the number two is like the difference between you having a nice ride home and <laughs> shitting your pants, and having to go inside to change, literally, right? Yeah. Think about it. I was driving in this, you know, Ford, uh, old Ford Escape Uber, and it was just such a terrible ride. And I was just thinking about this, like, you know... Let's say you've got your neighborhood and at your neighborhood's intersection, you know, 10 million times a Tesla has passed through that intersection in the last year. Right. And every time it did, the autopilot analyzed it. And if there was yeah. some kind of error, some abnormality, yeah. it would send that up to be analyzed. So the chance of you finding an error for the first time and you know, becoming kind of, you know, like heartbreaking or something, some uncomfort caused by this air or even harm, it's very low because there's so many other cars. But with the other guys, you may be seeing it for the first time. And how do you really overcome that? How do you outproduce Tesla? Right? So the difference between number one and number two is huge. It's not going to be like, eh, Android, iPhone, Windows, Mac, whatever. There's enormous network effects because everybody wants to use the best one because it's the best. But then because everyone's using the best one, it gets better, right? And this is, counter exactly. this yeah. is kind of counterintuitive. People don't think about this because that's yeah. not really how software has worked before. 
But AI, it's not like any other kind of software. This isn't programmers that are making it so good at driving. What's making it good at driving is it's saying, you know what? I've seen millions and billions of roads. I've seen roads in the day. I've seen roads in the night. I've seen roads in the snow. You know, every kind of condition you can imagine. And I know where the lane lines are because I've seen all of this. Yeah, and that's why it's surprising. Like, So if Waymo and Cruise, let's assume that they even have some competitive option. Well, they they can't just sell Waymo to just one car company like GM and then Cruise does Ford or something. That's not, unless they have millions of cars in a road, they're not going to have enough. Um, and yet in, in the interview, Elon kind of had a throwaway line and he said, you know, we, we, it's pretty clear that FSD is going to be achieved. It's a matter of time. But then he said something about that. He didn't think that anybody's going to license it. Um, I don't know what his exact statement was, but licensing FSD from Tesla, it doesn't. It, he wasn't as confident about it. And so, I don't know. At some point, it seems like these these car companies will have to license this um, because of what you just said, right? What's your thoughts on licensing? Is that going to happen? Well, I mean, they'll have to license something. So it's just really yeah. a question of whether something exists or not. I think there's going to be a number of solutions and. Elon has said he's open to licensing, but I mean, you just look at like Waymo and Cruise, for example, and, you know, to say Cruise, they've got a really great product. Probably, you know, if you take a Waymo in Chandler, it's going to be kind of relatively smooth and zero takeover. FSD beta will work there too, but they've obviously got it very down. They've got it monitored, but to get that technology into something that you can actually put in a, a consumer car and sell. Cruise has said they're targeting like 25, 2025, 2026 to do that, which is something that Tesla is going to do in 2022 for all of their cars produced since October 2017. So you can really see that, you know, they're at least several years behind where Tesla is already. Perfect. Thank you so much, Omar. So let's um, ask Ash and Gail if you guys had any any thoughts you had about what you heard on the this third part interview. In the meantime, I'll start to add uh, speaker uh, pe people from the audience who want to ask a question. Uh, yeah, if, if Gail wants to say something, I would love to hear from Gail too. Um, well, I I guess I can just comment maybe a little bit about robotaxi and the money furnace thing. <laughs> I, <think. Yeah. laughs> I mean, I, I think that um, I would, I can't wait till we get some hints at what robotaxi is going to, um, you know, essentially like look like and be like, um, I'm super excited about the future of it. And, and like in the Tesla um, 2021 annual impact report um it talks about robo taxi being an essential part of tesla's core mission mm. so i think this is super important for tesla it's going to continue to be you know really really something that they're driven to be successful at um and they're hiring people too to 
you know, work on that team, you know, and it continues to be the most talented engineers um, who, who want to, you know, college grads who want to work at Tesla. So that continues to be the case. And, and I just, you know, looking on LinkedIn, I see people who are newly hired, even right now with the salaried, the salaried um, cutbacks, there's people that are being recruited and hired for this particular um, endeavor. Um, and then I was also talking with some friends today about the so-called money furnace and we lost you Gail. Please repeat that oh okay so i am talking to you guys via starlink satellite connection um mm -hmm. in austin texas and so mm -hmm. um it's a rv the rv version which i'm using it i know yay i love it love you guys so much by the way it's really cool to see everybody here like so cool but anyway so it it is not it's not like official in the city it's for rural areas right so i'm kind of testing it out um in my backyard <laughs> it's fun um and i love it so much uh but essentially like for for me like as a long-term investor that i just you know am holding for the long term i'm not even really paying attention to the hype or anything. I, I think it's just a brief hiccup, a brief glitch in the, in the long-term scheme of things. Um, I think uh, um, that the, this week, this month is just going to fade into history and we'll look, you know, in five years, we'll look back and we won't even really re remember what happened in June of 2022. Right now it's real intense and there's so much drama, but I think in the long, if we're, if you're in this for the long term, this is just a minor glitch. And so focus on your, you know, you, what your goals are, focus on what makes you happy and pursue your passions and really, truly support Tesla, you know, so support what they're doing, support their employees. I, I talked to some employees in this last week and they love they love seeing us on Twitter. They are inspired by you guys when you say good things about the company, when you tweet things. Um, you don't know it, but you're being, you are supporting the Tesla team. And they really, really appreciate you. Every single one of you in this room, I know you're here because you love, you know, most of you love Tesla. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you, Gail. That's great. Let's ask a, get a question from Bobby. Hello. Um, hey. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. Sweet. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I don't have like a specific question. Um, mm -hmm. I just wanted to say hi. And like I've been watching FSD videos every night before I go to sleep since it came <laughs> out. Yeah. Like in October 2020. And it's getting better, like for sure. And I'm so excited. And I'm excited for the robot. It's going to change like economics and yeah that's it and hi thanks, everyone man. thanks Bobby. yeah you know that uh omar omar's blog has the best videos you gotta subscribe to his youtube channel <laughs> yeah, yeah you good do. tunes i love it i love it <laughs> i love the music okay wonderful i'll invite the invite the next person up is it uh kane and andre next 
Kane, are you up? Hey. Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I just wanted to say about the uh, uh, the fleet manager. I was just thinking that there could be just like a small extension to the uh, Tesla app because you could uh, for sure at, at the at the moment you can uh, carry your settings from one Tesla to the next Tesla. Uh, so I was thinking maybe just a small extension to that. You could form a fleet manager around that uh, use in the app, and then you could get extensions from that to control your vehicles. But that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, and I no, I totally agree with you. I think if you watch carefully with the app features that they add, every time they add a feature, you might go, oh, that's a great feature. But when you add it all up together, there's this grand vision and it's all coming together. You know, the ability for a robo taxi and or like you said, fleet manager. Um, that's a very big possibility. And I think that but what he he said at the interview was that, you know, they got bigger fish to fry right now, the factories, and that's, you know, he spends all of his time on full self-driving and SpaceX and now the bot. And so these, you know, software stuff like this, there's probably another team working on it. But in his mind, it's it's kind of like a lower, is what did he call it? He said, uh, rich people are, what is it? First world problems. <laughs> FSD beta would definitely be the uh, the primary thing because autonomy would take away the need for any of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, let's get the next person up. Andre, thank you so much, Kane. Uh, thank you. Hey, Andre, how are you? Andre, we can't hear you. Andre. Oh, that's too bad. Okay, next one. Sean. Okay, Sean. No, he, did he leave? Okay, so now Reese. Reese, hey guys, can you hear me? Yes, you're a broadcaster from the BBC. Is that is that correct? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, okay. I, of course, have to be unbiased. Um, however, yes. I am a Tesla fanboy, <laughs> and That's good news. I may be irresponsibly long, um, but hey, um, I really wanted to. I managed to. Get on one of the Arc um, uh, Twitter live spaces. It must have been about a few months back, and yeah, I, uh, it was. You might be aware of the um, uh, Twitter account Alternate Jones. Um, yes. I love his tweets, and uh, one tweet that he made was about um, how Tesla's going to disrupt real estate, and it's kind of stuck with me ever since. So I'd love to hear. Um, your opinions on that I think it was when I spoke to um, uh, it was Tasha she said uh, from ARC she said um, she was looking at people will extend their driveway for example um, obviously with RoboTaxi you don't need to drive on your house anymore so people will extend their house to have more space another thing was wow. Alternate Jones was saying about uh, well, what happens to car parks does this mean there's going to be a massive boom in uh, real estate in inner city areas where 
I don't know about London, but it's there's a crazy supply uh, in London. There's a crazy supply and demand issue. I'm not sure about where you guys are from, um, but yeah, I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on Tesla and real estate. I mean, I kind of feel like Elon's already got Tesla homes in the works, but um, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Wow, that's very, very exciting. And um, if Omar's here still, you need to hear not only he's got an incredible vision of how Tesla's going to disrupt um, e-commerce and Amazon. But um, Omar, did you have you given thought much about what's going to happen to how cities will change and real estate? Well, I think that definitely a lot of things are going to be changed socially, culturally. Um, definitely, I mean, real estate, like really you can go down the rabbit hole imagining this stuff and it's not going to happen overnight, obviously. This stuff takes time to happen. But you kind of project out a couple of decades and, okay, well, what is what does retail look like in this kind of world where most stuff can probably be brought to you instantly. What does, you know, life look like for kids who have a lot more freedom and, you know, what kind of environment do families want to be? And obviously you can live much further away from the city and probably get there much more easily. So that'll probably transform real estate markets. It'll probably be good for some of those areas, maybe right outside London or other major cities that, Maybe we're a little bit out of the way for someone who wanted to work in the city before, but now with an autonomous vehicle where you can, you know, take a nap on the way to work or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it's maybe more, a more uh, palatable experience. So, yeah, I mean, definitely, I think, um, you know, there could be some pretty big changes to even the way our cities are designed, really. Um, you know, the concept of like a city may change and we've seen a lot of these changes really start happening already. Reese, don't you think the, the bigger, bigger impact could actually be boring company? Uh, if you take away the cars or as many of the cars driving on the top, you know, on the ground level, but instead put them down to the underground level, then, oh my gosh, their city and, um, you know, just all this walking way and parks and... Uh, what's your thought Reese? did you have ideas yeah no for sure i think um well even here in the uk we have the um uh i feel like i'm being really stupid here the channel tunnel um yeah so that already makes me think of kind of what potential uh kind of tesla can do what boring company can do um no for sure i just feel like um it's just like you guys mentioned it's endless uh, and I almost get, I guess this is going on kind of a separate topic here, so feel free to cut me, but when you hold like Tesla stock, you almost, I don't know about you, but you almost live life, which is, is not healthy. Um, but you yeah. almost live life knowing that what that's going to become like, it's like it, the most conviction on uh something that it's almost like you read them stories well i did kind of oh we're the couple that invested in apple in 1994 and you're like (laughs) wow i wish i could become one of them people but this is like 
oh my god like i literally tell my girlfriend like every other day i'm like i'm not sure you're aware of like yeah exactly how our lives are going to be just by holding like a a specific number of tesla stock it's it's crazy um some of my friends think i'm crazy but um you're not crazy yeah (laughs) <laughs> I, I am yeah, one of those people that had had apple stock in 1994 uh and i complete i'm very excited when i speak to people like you uh because you see the vision we know why we're doing this and it's gonna happen i have the conviction like you do so you yeah. one last question you had apple stock back then did you yep. was you this highly convicted yes as you were Yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Apple like was like seventeen dollars, and we I I started investing in Apple and a bunch of other companies like Johnson and Johnson and others. Uh, and then over time, it's like, why am I holding these other companies? And just moved it all to Apple. And then when I discovered Tesla in twenty twelve, exactly the same powerful. You know, oh, here's the vision. Here's what's going to happen. And as you watch it through the years, and it's actually happening. Uh, yeah, you. You 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 can feel the same excitement. Exactly the same vision is going to happen. Incredible, and I promise, last one, then I'll leave. Yeah, um, please. And have you obviously not kind of asking here too in terms of names of companies, but your excitement beyond that does that go into like the genomics realm? Because I feel like, I, it's... Uh, yeah, let's not talk about that. I we hold the uh, stock discussion on Tuesdays. But yeah, okay. I invested a lot of genomics and pharmaceutical because that's my, my I'm in the healthcare background. Lost a lot of money uh, 10, 20 years ago. And so now I'm all in tech companies and uh, Tesla. So. Oh, yeah. Because like, it just <laughs> makes saying. me think like, it makes yeah. me think like Elon, ha- I, I'm, he, he can't see what's going on and feel like, ah, I, I feel like he, he wants to be a part of genomics in some way. Oh, like that's just my gut. I could be okay. completely wrong. Yeah. But, um, Neuralink, Neuralink, yeah. yeah genomics, you know, it's a hit and miss, right? It's one of those lotteries. If you win, you win. If you don't, it fails, it fails, right? Yeah. Well, thank, thank you. So you uh, yeah, thanks, Reese, yeah, for staying um, very unbiased as a broadcaster. Really appreciate that. <laughs> that was well done. <laughs> okay, so we've. Uh, who do we have here? Juan, do you have a question? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, thank you for the chance. Uh, I'm just wondering, do you have the chance to, uh, uh, to ask Elon if it's possible uh, to put the, you know, the Tesla bot robs, uh, robot uh, to Mars so they can start building like cities and things like that? Yeah, one of the things about this interview that happened, I was very disappointed was they didn't talk about the bot, which is a bit of a shocker. Um, but yeah, I've actually been saying that don't you think that one of the very first customers of the Tesla bot could be SpaceX and they'll just go and put in like, you know, an order for 10,000 and kickstart it all. That's a possibility. I don't know. Um, yep. Yeah. Any, any thoughts, Ash or Omar? I would say that Elon's why the thing that motivates him is getting to Mars. I think that um, by and large, like, sure. Like you could have just hired more people to mass produce Tesla's, but Specifically, the bot, I think, has many more uh, use cases, and Mars is definitely one of those. I mean, if you're going to go build stuff, then you might as well send a robot to do it first. What do you think, Juan? 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I definitely agree because, uh, to be honest, not even Elon knows exactly what's going on in Mars, and it's better to send robots instead of humans. Huh? Yeah, for sure. I, I'm almost guaranteed. I don't know if you know, uh, I asked this question to Tesla fans, and very few people know the answer to this. Who knows what Mars Oasis is? I you. Yeah, so Mars Oasis was in 2001 or 2000. Elon's first vision about, you know, making Mars more exciting was to send out a, a, a seeds, plant seeds. And then when it lands in Mars, it'll have its own little greenhouse thing, a little bubble, and it'll show a plant growing. And he thought, you know, woo, wouldn't that be an amazing event for Earth to see life on another planet? And then that should kickstart everybody's excitement. So when when they send out the first, you know, the the first uh, space the ro space rockets out to Mars, I do think that they'll probably have some sort of robot landing and then be able to plant some sort of live things to make it happen. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Thank you, Juan. Let's get the next person up, and then. Uh, Text. We'll finish it off here. So, RK. Next one. RK, welcome. RK. Okay. Uh, Texas Tech. Hey, I had a question for Omar. Um, so I'm a long-term holder and I always try to be objective as possible. And one thing um, that was mentioned in the interview, and I think it was in part one, it didn't pick up big in the media, but Elon made a comment. And I was wondering if you thought it was just hyperbole. He said that if FSD does not work, that Tesla's is zero. Do you remember him saying that? I think Omar was brought down to listener. I don't know why, uh, but yes, we did hear that. And then, um, I, I was following this guy named Alex Voigt on Twitter, uh, and he said this. He, goes, he said that that's a misinterpretation because you, he said that he himself hinted that he himself, Alex, has Asperger's, and that people with Asperger's, he, the way he what he read into that was that uh, that when he said that, he meant to say that the value of robotaxi is so big that the value of the car business is going to be minuscule in that sense. Um, that's how we interpret that. I mean, I could see that interpretation, but he literally didn't say that. So I'm just... True. Um, the only other comment I could make about that was that you've heard Elon say before, right, that it just so happens there are two major uh, tectonic changes that are happening in the automotive industry, right? There's that transition to electric vehicles, and then there's the transition to robo-taxi. And if you don't have, if it wasn't either one of those, he would have all these competition. But but because, you know, you have to compete, you have to do both, it's very unlikely for the traditional guys to come in. Um, so I don't know if he meant to say that, oh, if, if I don't have robo-taxi, then the value of this car is going to be zero because uh, all the other companies will create EVs anyways. Could that be yeah, the reason? It. Omar, do you have any opinion on what he meant by that? I mean, you know, it was just a comment. I don't think it 
<laughs> it really needs to be analyzed that much. Like Tesla has Tesla's bet the company on FSD the same way that they did with the Model 3. Like really in the case of the Model 3, they put so much money into really building up the Model 3 production system that if the Model 3 had failed, it would have killed the company. So they bet the whole company on Model 3. And luckily for them, it worked out. And Tesla became, you know, one of the best-selling car makers in the world with the Model 3 and Model Y line. And FSD is a similarly bet-the-company moment. We just see it as, oh, I've got this autopilot feature on my car. But behind the scenes, I mean billions and billions of dollars are being spent, right? You've got testers, you've got people labeling data, you've got, you know, data being pulled from all over the world, stored, analyzed, being trained on these massive GPU clusters. I really feel like it's a bet the company initiative. I mean, I've seen several financial models like Gary Black. He doesn't value FSD at all and he still has a huge price target. So what do you mean by that? I just mean that they're investing a ton of money. I don't necessarily mean that if it doesn't work out, they're going to be insolvent. They're in a good cash position. That's not what anybody's suggesting. But they're treating it as a bad If they're able to pull this off, is a completely different company than a Tesla that's not able to pull this off. It changes the entire trajectory of the company whether they can or they can't. Now, if they can't, they could just buy it from some other supplier or something and offer pretty much the same features, but the value of the company would be greatly diminished. So really, that was just my takeaway is that this is like a massive effort. This is a bet the company moment. Nobody else is really looking at this as seriously. They see it as maybe a side project at their OEM or something like that. Tesla is really saying, you know, this is absolutely critical for us. And this more than anything is the future of the company, the AI software. I mean, the value of that is just so far in excess. Oops, we lost them again. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Texas Tech. Uh, Matthew, welcome. How are you doing? Hey, I just wanted to throw one more thing in there about the yeah. Elon's comment. Like, if you imagined some preposterous, bizarro world in which <laughs> G- GM was like on the verge of solving robo taxis and Tesla was like nowhere on that, suddenly yeah. in that bizarro world, like GM would be on the verge of unlocking like more than $10 trillion of market cap. And Tesla's market cap would sort of start heading in inverse at the moment that investors recognized, hey, GM's going to, you know, be in the winner take most in this mm-hmm. category. So I think that might be a little bit like what Elon was kind of referring to, you know, yeah. in the in the distinction between, you know, Tesla being worth a ridiculous amount of money versus zero is kind of like, hey, like, that's how important this is. So it's you know, just like what Omar was saying, but... Um, yeah (laughs) thank you so much matthew okay so let's go ahead and wrap up today's call thank you very much to omar um always amazing conversations and insights and then thank you to eli who's actually uh, part of that interview 
Thanks, everybody. We'll see you on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And please follow those uh, those speakers. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone.